0: This week, food shelf use remains high in Minnesota. Mystery Science Theater 3000 hits the Twin Cities for a set of live shows and hometown hero Joe Mauer's emotional retirement from baseball. But first... With the election behind them, lawmakers are now turning their attention to the 2019 legislative session, which is under two months away. MNN's Bill Werner is here to tell us about the preparations. Bill, lawmakers next year have to decide on a two-year state budget, and is it safe to assume that the line of folks interested in those billions of dollars has started forming. Well, Scott, that line might already be so long that we can't see the end of it. One of the heavyweights
1: in that queue weighed in this week. The Board of Minnesota State, the State College and University System, gave the go-ahead to ask the 2019 legislature for a $246 million funding increase, a number that is turning some heads at the state capitol. We talked with Chancellor Devinder Malhotra about it.
2: This is probably the largest we have ever asked, at least in recent memory. See the way I look at it is that uh, we are an imperative for the state of Minnesota uh, in order to not only uh, to meet the workforce challenges and to meet the needs of all Minnesotans higher education need of needs of all Minnesotans across their whole life cycle. So we not only serve students straight out of high school but we are also serving incumbent workers displaced workers, uh, individuals who stopped out now coming back to college at a later stage. And so, so we are meeting uh, and, and, and we are enhanced, trying to enhance access uh, to communities which historically have had low participation rates in higher education. And like the communities of color, those of native origins, low-income, first-generation, and, and so if we have to do this, if we have to scale up our operations, if we have to bring in more students, if we have to make sure we have the support structures in place to see them across the finish line, if we have to make sure that our programmatic structures are well aligned to the changing needs of the workforce, uh, not only of today but that of tomorrow.
1: Republicans in the election retain their majority, albeit razor-thin, in the Minnesota Senate, and they will have a say in the 2019 session on whether the state college and university system gets its $246 million funding increase. We asked Madison Lake Senator Rich Draheim, a key player on the Senate Higher Education Committee, is that a reasonable amount, is it a doable amount, is it a prudent amount?
3: You know, when, when we... Tour the campuses and see, you know, all the different needs throughout throughout the campuses. And I know they have um, a, a lot of things they would like. And, and what we have to do is separate what would be nice and 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 then what, what they really need. You know, healthcare is going to be a big big draw. I, I, you know, I think on, on what we did with reinsurance. Um, you know, looking forward, um, you know, what are we going to have to spend on that? You know, the aging population. Uh, long-term care, housing. Um, so we'll, we'll have to just look. I, we, we've had some discussion, uh, but no, no numbers been thrown around.
1: So Minnesota State's two hundred forty-six million dollar request is that a number that will probably have to be scaled back to some degree?
3: I, I would think so. I, I think the, you know the the number um, is quite large from what we've been used to, and and they've been kind of hinting that they were going to come with a, a a big number. You know, when we've been touring the. The campuses and whatnot, and and uh, the new chancellor is is very active and and uh, I think very engaged with with the staff all over the state, and uh, we, you know we'll just have to sit down and go go through it.
1: Part of the state college and university system's proposal is also what officials term college promise tuition scholarships. Low-income students could attend a community or technical college for two years in Minnesota and pay no out-of-pocket tuition. Chancellor Melhotra says...
2: We are asking the legislature that once the student has all the state grants and financial and federal grants, once the student has those grants, whatever the gap between the tuition and those grants is, we will use these resources to make up for that.
1: And the chancellor says if any person, regardless of income, starts at a community or technical college and then transfers to a four-year state university they would have no out-of-pocket tuition expense for year three of their schooling. We asked Republican Senator Draheim about that proposal.
3: My thought is a little different and what we've been working on. Um, You know, it's not a a caucus plan, but it's a plan Mm -hmm. that a couple of us are working on. is more of a loan program instead of a free tuition for for two years. Um, You know, I'd rather do a low-interest loan. Um, than free. I I think people need to have a little skin in the game. And, um, you know, so my proposal that I'm working on would be just throw out numbers, like a three-year, three-and-a-half percent interest rate on Minnesota kids going to Minnesota schools and then have uh, something tied to have them stay in the state to keep the interest rate lower. Because we're desperately needing good... Employees, you know, every employer you talk to cannot recruit enough. Um, So to me, I want to tie the the low-interest financing for, my thought was for four years, Um, so no master's or graduate program, to a low interest rate, and then tie it to staying in Minnesota for a few years.
1: That's Senator Rich Draheim. Also this week, Republicans at the Minnesota Legislature started marshalling allies as they push to let a tax on medical service providers expire next year as scheduled, while Democrats want to extend it because it helps fund Minnesota care. At a state capitol hearing this week, Rochester Republican Senator Carla Nelson asked Minnesota Pharmacists Association spokesman Tim Gallagher,
0: Does your organization then support the continued... Uh, repeal of the provider tax?
4: Madam Chair, Senator Nelson, yes our organization would support the repeal of the tax. To keep the repeal in place? Yes.
1: But Governor-elect Tim Walls wants the provider tax extended.
5: We're going to have to have a conversation on how to keep the healthy system of uh, Minnesota care open and then keep those commitments that we made to people.
1: And Scott, a good number of people at the Capitol say health care could be the most contentious issue of the 2019 legislative session.
0: And we will find out in just a couple short months. Thank you for that report, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
6: Us Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting.
5: Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to
6: you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Food shelf use remains high across Minnesota despite an improving economy. MN's Tasha Radel takes a closer look.
7: That's right, Scott. Nearly 80% of people who use the food shelf visit their local food bank once a month or more, and 53% of the food shelf clients get about half or more of their total food from the shelf. Joining me now is Jill Westfall with Hunger Solutions Minnesota.
8: The number of visits to food shelves rose Quickly during the recession, we went from about 1.5 million visits a year to over 3 million visits per year um, over the course of the recession, and those numbers have stayed really high ever since. Uh, Last year, which is the last year that we have stats for, uh, we had a record high 3.4 million visits to food shelves, and that was the seventh year in a row that we'd had over 3 million visits. And for 2018, we are on track to be somewhere over 3 million visits again.
7: So despite a booming economy and low unemployment, food shelf use remains pretty high. That's really kind of hard to put in perspective.
8: Yeah, we see a lot of families that are still struggling, uh, whether that is low wages or uh, hours that are inconsistent in their jobs. Um, and they're finding it hard to make ends meet, so they turn to their food shelf for some help.
7: I think it's fair to say that everyone kind of has their favorite foods or things that they like to eat. Um, what are some of the items that are really, I guess, in high demand at area shelves across the state?
8: Some of the most commonly re- requested items are meat, poultry and fish, uh, milk, and then fresh fruits and vegetables. Uh, The healthy items are often the most expensive things to purchase at the grocery store, and so those are the items that people are looking for help uh, accessing through their food shelf.
7: It seems over the years, we've kind of seen a shift of more families or individuals looking for healthier uh, food shelf options.
8: Sure, definitely. Um, Folks are requesting healthier items in their food shelves, and food shelves are responding, um, making sure that they source as much fresh fruit and vegetables as they can, um, having more meat and poultry and milk available for their clients. So the Food Shelf Network has really stepped up uh, to meet the need of those folks that are turning to them for help.
7: You know, with uh, over 3 million food shelf visits a year, um, are the individual food shelves across the state able to keep up with such a high demand?
8: For the most part, yes. Uh, Minnesotans are incredibly generous, and they support their food shelves. Um, And food shelves have continued to step up and meet the need um, in their local communities.
7: Let's talk a little bit about donations. I know that in the past, or perhaps traditionally, uh, families would drop off a bag or two of groceries from their local market. But I understand that the food shelves actually prefer cash donations. Why is this, Jill?
8: So cash is always the best thing to donate to your food shelf. Um, A food shelf can purchase food through the food bank and through other vendors and buy about four times as much food for a dollar than you or I can do if we go to the grocery store. Um, So they're really able to stretch cash donations even further um, to help their clients.
7: With the holidays just around the corner, how are the food shelves looking heading into Thanksgiving, which is already next week, and Christmas uh, just a few weeks away? Is there anything Minnesotans like myself can be doing uh, to help make others' holidays a little brighter?
8: The things that food shelves need vary from food shelf to food shelf. We have about 300 food shelves across the state of Minnesota. And the best way to respond to the need is to call up your local food shelf and ask them what they want or give cash so that they can buy the things that they need throughout the year.
7: If there's someone listening right now that is needing the extra assistance over the holidays or perhaps any time of the year, what's a good first step? What should they do?
8: Sure. Uh, If folks are looking for help, they can always call the Minnesota Food Helpline at 1-888-711-1151. And the helpline can help them find their local food shelf or look for other local food resources.
7: And speaking of other food resources, um, I'm pretty familiar with the SNAP food program from doing a number of stories on this over the years. For some folks that aren't familiar with SNAP, it's uh, also known back in the day as the food stamp program. If someone's wanting to check into this assistance, uh, how do they go about doing that or applying for that?
8: folks think they qualify for SNAP or have questions about the SNAP program, they can always call the helpline. Uh, It's 1-888-711-1151. And we can help them get started uh, with the application process.
7: Thanks again to my guest, Jill Westfall with Hunger Solutions, Minnesota. Again, if you have any questions, you can call the Minnesota Food Helpline at 1-888-711-1151. Again, that's 888-711-1151. Back to you, Scott.
0: Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters, I'm Scott Peterson. Mystery Science Theater 3000 was created and debuted in Minnesota 30 years ago. The show, which features a cast of human and robotic wisecrackers commenting on bad movies, went off the air in 1999, but made a remarkable comeback on Netflix last year. The show's creator, Joel Hodgson, is currently on the road with a live show tour that arrives in Minneapolis this week. I recently spoke with Hodgson about the show's success and how it feels to be taking it out on the road to share with fans. Well,
4: it's, it's like watching Mystery Science Theater in your front room, but there's 1,800 other people with you watching it at the same time so um and everyone's incredibly quiet i'm just kidding (laughs) it's really loud and people have a good time and so that becomes the real art of it is when you're performing live is you have to kind of edit because the audience every every night you know, we'll do 40 shows, uh, 42 shows, or 40 shows before we land in Minneapolis. So the art of it is while you're performing, um, you have to, like, listen. And sometimes they'll laugh in really unusual spots that you're not ready for, and they'll laugh longer at certain things than they did the night before. And you got to be ready to, like, edit your stuff. Like, oh, they're laughing over... See, the movie it's not like a stand-up where the audience where the, uh, the stand-up just stops when the audience laughs and then he picks up again we the movie keeps going and so we have to actually edit and drop out and uh, oh i have a line they're laughing over the setup to my next riff i gotta wait i'm gonna just not do my riff and then get ready for the next one and so you're The art of performing is not just performing, but also editing while you're going.
0: You know, I wouldn't have thought of that uh, prior to hearing your answer, but it sounds like it's a little bit of a high-wire act.
4: Yeah, well, to really give people a good experience, you just got to be really tuned in. You got to really listen to them and be ready. And, And that's where it really, you know when it really takes off is they know we can hear them and we remark and talk about it. And, you know, it's really alive in the room. And so it's different, you know, and it comes from, we deliberately wanted to end in Minneapolis. It's our, you know, we land there and three days later is, is our 30th anniversary Uh, on Thanksgiving. We started in 1988 on KTMA on Thanksgiving Day. So, three days later will be our 30th anniversary. So, we deliberately wanted to land in Minneapolis for the end of the tour.
0: Well, that's fantastic. Congratulations again on the success of the show. Could you, is it possible, could you give me just a, a slight preview of what we can expect in the next season uh, that's coming up?
4: I think it's really great. Um, obviously, we had the benefit of doing 14 feature length episodes uh, the season before. And that's because of the Kickstarter, you know, normally um, Netflix, I think, would have ordered six, like that's the shape of most of their orders. Um, Because our shows are an hour and a half, roughly, you know, we're like three times longer than an average sitcom. So, you know, normally um, they would have ordered six, but because we had the Kickstarter, we got the backers paid for 14 episodes, and so we have the benefit of having done those 14 episodes to get ready. And uh, critically, uh, we've done really good. And so everybody just kind of came into it, like, with that kind of, like, oh, we landed it. We stuck the landing. Now everything's okay. Let's just have fun. And So I think you're going to see that in um, in the new season where everyone's kind of, you know, But what you saw for season 11 on Netflix was our first time coming back to it in over 15 years. And so everybody was a little nervous. And now I think we have a little more confidence and we're, more than anything, we're a little more relaxed, I think. And I hope, hopefully, that shows.
0: Very good Joel. One last question for you. How does it feel to uh, to put the jumpsuit back on again? Is it uh it, it, is there a ritual that involved in that uh, or does it you know, tell me a little bit about what that feels like?
4: Well, um I'm looking forward to breaking these new ones in because they're kind of stiff and so I got uh I try to wash them as much as I can, get them nice and soft so they're comfortable because they're jumpsuits, man. And so um, that's a big thing for me, is just uh, being on stage and being comfortable. So I've already run them through the, di- through the washing machine a couple of times, but that's the nice thing when you're doing the road is there's always a washing machine backstage. I'll just run them, run them in and get them nice and soft, feeling good, and uh, that's about it. I mean, the other thing I'm thinking about a lot is Jonah is really tall, so I'm going to look really small I mean I'm fifty eight years old so I'm already starting to shrink. But but Jonah's a giant man. He's six he must be almost six and a half feet tall. So they're gonna think I'm really, really little. I'm really like I'm five, ten and a half, but they're gonna think I'm a little guy compared to Jonah. So I've just gotta get used to that.
0: Well try not to be too self-conscious about that. And when you're talking yeah. about when you're talking about being comfortable on stage and washing the jumpsuit, I was thinking, you know, you can take the boy out of Minnesota, but you can't take Minnesota out of the boy.
4: Yeah, I gotta be polite, <laughs> be clean, presentable. That's right.
0: Thank you to my guest, Joel Hodgson. The live show hits the state theater this week in Minneapolis. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
6: Welcome back to The Dog Show. Up next, we have Satchmo. Satchmo is a member of the Shelter Pet Group. That's right, a group known especially for their couch-snuggling, ball-chasing, face-licking, tail-wagging, backyard-hanging, and of course, companionship. And what breed would you say Satchmo is? I'd have to go with maybe a lavish, terrier-hound, chihuahua-looking kind of mix. Tremendous dog. Mm, I'd also like to point out Satchmo's coloring, a white, gray, brown, black brindle. Simply marvelous. You know, it's such a treat to watch a dog like this. Now, let's see him in action. Look how he makes eye contact with his person. That's actually known as the treat stare. How intuitive. And now he appears to be excitedly turning in circles. Ah, the happy dance, so common with this group. And finally, the loving face lick. It's great how he just gets in there and, well, licks. Fantastic. But really, the best way to know an amazing shelter pet like Sachma is to meet one. Visit theshelterpetproject.org today. Adopt.
0: Brought to you by Maddie's Fund, the Humane Society of the United States, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Hometown hero Joe Maurer officially retired from the Twins earlier this week. The St. Paul native played for his hometown team for 15 years, making six All-Star games, winning three batting titles, taking home the 2009 American League Most Valuable Player Award and creating pride for the residents in
9: his home state. Maurer says this isn't a goodbye. I don't see this, like I said, as a farewell. I'm going to raise my kids here, my family's here, I'm born and raised. I was a Twins fan before I was a twin. I'll be a Twins fan after I'm, uh, I'm done as a player. MN M&M Sports Director
0: Mike Grimm recaps an emotional day for Maurer.
5: Scott, a choked-up
9: Mauer, started his
5: retirement announcement at Target Field by thanking his parents and family in a display of emotion that we've rarely seen or heard from the usually calm and stoic Joe Cool. Mom
9: and Dad, thank you so much for always believing in me. <clears throat> For sitting at my countless games and tournaments and for being the pillar of support back and then and always. You both made it a priority to be there for me throughout my whole career and that means the world to me. <clears throat> You've helped keep me grounded and have never let me forget my roots. Thanks to my brothers Jake and Bill. <laughs> Thanks for always letting your little brother tag along. I know it's not easy sometimes, but uh, I've always appreciated that. You guys have been th- there through it all. Jake, I'll never forget our years in the minor leagues together. Some of my favorite times. Bill, I was proud to catch you in that spring training game <clears throat> where you got to face your favorite player, David Ortiz. Thank you, Gardy, for letting that happen, too. Um, I'm also proud to say that we got him out. <sighs> it's pretty amazing that three brothers from Minnesota... At one point, all donned a twins uniform, and I'll always be thankful we were able to share that together. <laughs> Mauer says, "Growing up in Saint Paul, he became who he was by competing against and with his older brothers." I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Um, doesn't matter what the game. I, I love to compete, and uh, I think sometimes that that gets lost in general public. But uh, just ask my brothers over here. It doesn't matter what we're playing or if it, whether it's a game or football or basketball, or whatever. Um, I just love to compete. Once I uh, try out a game or try something out, I try to be the best that I can be at it. And, um, you know, those days down at Jimmy Lee, those days down at uh, all the ball fields in St. Paul uh, helped mold me into the guy I am today. Mauer says after all that he's accomplished as a player, his favorite memories don't involve stats, awards, or trophies. Just the relationships. That I've been able to make. That's why I'm so emotional here today. A lot of us go back 20 plus years. I think I first met Terry Ryan when I was what 15 years old, <laughs> 14. Thank you. Yeah. Twins radio broadcaster Corey Provis has called hundreds of games that Mauers played in.
5: Joe Mauer, an amazing career, 15 years of excellence and class, and all doing it with with the hometown team. Just quite the story. And and to me, he made the toughest thing in sport look so easy time and time again. There, there's a reason why that if you're successful, you know, 35% of the time in baseball, you're going to be among the game's, you know, better players and, and, you know, best compensated players. And Joe Maurer certainly was that because he just had the ability to put the barrel on the ball and put the ball in play. He, he wasn't a big power guy, that we know, and certainly the back half of his career those power numbers went down. But, man, he was still a tough out. Uh, if the game was on the line and he needed a big hit, Number seven was your guy. He was either gonna, you know, get a hit. He'd take his walk. He was gonna make that pitcher work. He was gonna make that defense be perfect. Otherwise, Joe was gonna beat you uh, more times than not. One of my favorite Mauer moments was 2013. Uh, after the birth of his twin girls, he was away from the team. The, the, the twins were on the West Coast, and he left the team in Anaheim. The team went out to Seattle, and then Joe was back in the lineup when the team was back at Target Field in the following homestand. And Joe had been gone for, you know, five, six, seven days. And we were wondering, would his timing be off? Well, sure enough, Maurer's first at bat, first inning. That's a base hit. And just just made it look easy. And you'd often hear that from his peers and opposing pitchers about, don't waste your time trying to beat Joe with a 7-8-9, you know, nibble after nibble. He's going to beat you. And Joe would do that time and time again. What a way to end it, too, that that thrilling day, the target field in September, uh, coming out to catch just one last time is a moment that I'll never forget, and for those listening, watching, and, and for those that were fortunate to be at Target Field that day, uh, that, that's a moment that I'm sure that Twins fans will never, ever forget. So, Joe Maurer, congratulations, Twins Hall of Famer, and hopefully Cooperstown does the same uh, five years from now as well. But we'll, wish, uh, we'll, all, we'll all miss Joe Maurer. Just everything about him uh, is just going to be tough to replace, and number seven will go down as one of the famed numbers in Twins history with 34 and, and 6 and 3 and 29 and 28 and 10, you name it. Herbeck, of course, uh, number 7 is right up there as well with uh, one of the best to ever do it in Twins history, and that will carry on for years and decades and decades to come.
9: And now that his playing career is over, how does Joe Maurer want to be remembered? I think I'd want to be known as just a, a great teammate, a great person, and um, you know, a guy that gave it everything he had.
5: That's all anyone can ask. Scott, back to you. Thank you, Mike. That's going
0: to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next time for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.